Greetings and welcome back to Shnayim Mikra, the wonderful series sponsored by the Orthodox Union hosted here at OU.org, in which in each podcast we investigate one of the aliyot of the current parasha. We are studying this week's parasha, Parashat Mishpatim. My name is Yitzchak Et Shalom and I'm pleased to be studying with you this week. And now we will take a look at the third aliyah, Shlishi, in the middle of the discussion or the presentation of laws of damages that are found in the Torah. We dealt with uh, people hurting people, people um, uh, property hurting people, property hurting property. And uh, now we continue. We're going to look at people hurting property, which we already looked at at the end of the second Aliyah, uh, in Parakhapet Pasuk Dawad. Ki Yaver Ish Sadeh Ocherem. Yaver here means uh, not the way that the word is used in rabbinic Hebrew, which is as a fire, but rather to clean out. If a man cleans out a field or vineyard, and he sent his animals and they grazed in another field, uh, he has to pay from the finest of his fields or the finest of his vineyards. And the simple sense of this is that if you allow your animals to graze in another's property, then you are liable for whatever damage they caused by eating or by trampling. That's called shane and regel in the first Mishnah and Bavakama and the discussion that follows in the middle prakim of the, of the Masachet. And we are also introduced to two important halachot. One of them is that shane and regel, these two forms of tort, you are only liable for reshut hayachid, reshut hanizak, in the property of the one damaged, not reshut rabim. So if someone leaves um, a crate of apples out, and your animal walks by and eats it, that would not be a damage, at least not under the category of shane, uh, if he left it out in the public area. The second thing that's important that we learn from here is metav sadeo, the dean of metav, which is that you have to pay from the finest of your property. And there's a huge discussion at the beginning of Bavakama, is it Metav Demazik, Metav Denizak, and how do we grade it based on the best fields of the one who's paying the damage or the best fields of the uh, one who is damaged, and how do we grade what best is? Is it Bishaloin Shamin, Bishalolamim Shamin? But that, of course, is, is way out of the uh, scope of this forum. The next damage that we deal with is called Eish. So if fire goes out, meaning not necessarily intentionally, but a person lights a fire and it finds thorns, which is flammable stuff, and then a pile of grain or grain that's already still on the ground, the field itself is burned up, whoever started the fire has to pay. And now we're going to enter into the area of the Arba Shomrim, uh, which there are three parshiot for, and the reason for that is, although famously there are four types of Shomrim, four types of bale, bales, um, bailiffs as it were, bale, bailies, uh, one of them is someone who's watching something as a favor for another person, and he obviously has the least liability. The other one is where somebody borrows something from another person, has the greatest liability. And the third parsha deals with one who um, who rents something. And then the question that's a machloket between the Tanaim and the Nebuchadnezzar is what do you do with the parallel category, which is somebody who is paid to watch. So is an Osei Sachar like a Shomer Sachar, like a Shomer Chinam, famous machloket. But we will stick to the Psukim and to simply understanding what's happening. If a person gives to another fellow money, in this case, kasev could be money, or vessels to watch, any sort of thing, and then it's stolen from the shomer. 
So first of all, if we find the thief, he has to pay double, as we've already seen. We don't find the thief. Now here's the counterclaim. The Shomer Chinam is claiming it was stolen. The Mafki, the owner, is claiming you're keeping it private. You're keeping it to yourself. You want to keep it. You're claiming it's stolen to get off the hook. So what happens? Then the Mafkid approaches the Beit And now the Shomer has to take an oath that he did not do Shlichut Yad. He did not misuse or misappropriate the uh, the property of his fellow. And this is true. I'll call Dvar Pesha for any sort of a negligence. I'll show a chamor, I'll sell salma, whether it's an ox, a donkey, a lamb, garments, so even things that aren't alive. I'll call avedash yomar mi kihuzeh. And here we have the famous discussion about Eru Parshiot. Is this informing us about many other Parshiot, or only about Shomer Chinam? So we learn Modav Miktzat from here, and several other halachot. Ad ha'elohim yavod varshnehem. It always has, it always requires a, an oath in front of a beitin. Asher yashiun Elohim yishalem shnaim l'rehu. If the beitin finds him guilty, he has to pay double. So for instance, if a Shomer Chinam claims it was stolen, and then it turns out that it wasn't stolen, he took an oath that it was stolen, and he claims it wasn't stolen, he has to pay double, just like a Ganav. In other words, he returns the item, and then pays also the value, just like a Ganav. And this is called Toin Tanat Ganav Befikadon. Now the second piece is, And notice here, there is no mention of payment, and there was no mention of payment, or lack of payment in the previous one. So how do we figure out that this part is talking about a Shomer Sachar, and the other, sorry, a, a Socher, and the other one is talking about a, um, a Shomer Chinam. Uh, we'll see. Umet onishba onishba in ro'eh. Here, in order to exempt him, the animal had to die, or get hurt, or taken captive, and there's no witnesses. So in other words, if it's stolen from him, that's not going to be an excuse. So this is somebody who has a higher threat, higher level of responsibility. There's an oath between the two of them. Same thing. Right, and then um, he, he takes it, and there's no payment. But this fellow, if it's stolen from him, has to pay. And his claim that it was stolen doesn't make a difference because it's not going to get him off the hook. Therefore, by the way, if you have a Shomer Sachar <coughs> who's watching things for pay and he claims it was stolen and it turns out he was lying, he doesn't pay double because his claim didn't gain him anything. Even if it was stolen, he'd still have to pay for it. But if the animal was ripped up by another animal or was hurt in some other way like that, then just bring a witnesses to that effect and then he doesn't have to pay. Now the third one, If somebody borrows, and here it's clearly stated that he's borrowing, a fellow borrows something, and it's hurt or dies, if the master's not with it, with him, then he has to pay, which means when you borrow something from someone, you're liable for anything that happens to him, even if it dies, there's one exception to that, which is, If it died in the process of the work for which you borrowed it, so if you borrowed a cow to plow, and while plowing it died, it had a heart attack and died, you're, you're not liable. But anything else that happens to him, you're liable for. But there's a second thing, which is, If the master comes along with it, and it's in your property, and, you're, and it's sitting there, and it dies, while he's with you, you're part there also. <coughs> and then we look at several other halachot, 
dealing with uh, torts of different sorts, but we've moved away now from Shomrim. If a man seduces, now this is to be contrasted with the parallel piece in Parshat Kitetzei, which is Ones, where if a man grabs a girl and has relations with her here, he seduced her, so she was consenting. She wasn't betrothed, so there's no violation of a marital relationship. And had relations with her. He has to, Mohar, as we saw in, in Parshat Vayishlach, is a reference to Ketuba. So he has to uh, take her as a wife. That's if she is interested and her father is interested. But her father doesn't want her to marry this fellow. Then he has to pay as per the Ketubah. And there, this may be, and this Machloket Tanaim, at the end of Ketubot, this may be the source for Ketubah as being Da'oraita. Okay, now we have several other halachot. Mechashifa lo a machashiva, a woman involved, and that's only typical because in the ancient world it was typically women who were involved in black magic, but whether machashif or machashifa has the death penalty. Now, the juxtaposition of these two was the subject of a machloket among the Tarayim. Rabbi Shimon said, what kind of death does a machashifa get? So we know that a shochevim behema gets sreif, say, gets skila. And so therefore, machashifa also gets skila. Rabbi Yehuda disagrees and says, just because the two psukim are next to each other, you're going to go kill this woman, Beskila, and then he has another source for the same halacha, um, with Ovi Yidoni. So, anybody who offers up uh, offerings to other gods will be, um, will be destroyed, unless he offers it to Hashem. You have to be careful not to abuse a stranger, um, and not to oppress him, because you yourself were Gerim and Mitzrayim, meaning you understand what it's like, and you know how it feels, and therefore you should be more sensitive to that. You have to be careful not to, um, and this is something that was very common in the ancient world, and even today, to take advantage of uh, of the disenfranchised. A widow and an orphan, not to oppress them. If you do oppress him, if he cries out to me, I will hear him. Of course, I hear everyone who cries out, but I'll hear him especially. And this parallels, of course, B'nai Yisrael crying out, and Hashem giving special heed, and look what happened to the Mitzvim as a result. At that happens, I will kill you with the sword. What will happen? Your wives will be widows, and your children will be orphans. In other words, tit for tat. If you do not take care of the widow and the orphan, and the opposite, you take advantage of their disenfranchised situation, to abuse them and take advantage of them, then I will turn your children and your wives into orphans and widows. So there's a double whammy there. You'll be killed. That's pretty bad. And your families will be left in the same situation that the people who you hurt were left in. In Kesef Talvet Ami, and by the way, the Gemara states that uh, certainly if you hurt a, an orphan, they don't cry out. HaKadosh Baruch Hu will still take vengeance, but he hurries more to respond to the cry. In Kesef Talvet Ami, now here the im we understand not to be an if, but rather when. When you lend money to members of my nation, Eta'ani imach, at the poor person who's with you, don't come after him for the debt. And you can't put neshech, ribit on him. If you take as collateral a garment of a fellow, let's say it's his night garment, then you have to give it back to him by, at night time. 
And the same thing, by the way, is with the day garment. That's all he has to wear. That's his garment for his skin. And if he has, and if he cries out to me because he's got, he's he's lying in bed, he has nothing to wear because you took his his night garment as collateral and didn't return it, then he will cry out to me and I will listen. And of course, I will listen. We read back a few psukim. We'll see what Hashem listening to the cries of the oppressed are. So here we are introduced to an idea which will appear several times in the legal parshiot. Um, of uh, of the Torah here and in Parshat Bahar and in Parshat Re'eh the importance both of taking care of the poor but also treating them with dignity and making sure that while they are in debt to you they are not oppressed by it and they are not uh, deprived as a result okay we'll pause at this point and pick it up with the fourth Aliyah in Parashat Mishpatim uh, in the meantime everybody should have a wonderful day